it was that song with the title of my lesson on the screen behind me. It's all about the blood this morning. And so the power that is in the blood. And so good morning. I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank our visitors that are visiting with us. And I just want to uh, just to welcome uh, Heather and, and, and Duke again. And uh, just saying it's so wonderful that you're able to be with here this morning. Uh, and to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. I want to thank all the teens that did service last week. You guys did a wonderful job. And Tyler, he really appreciated the, the length of the, of, the, of the messages. And he said, you know, maybe you could take a thing or two and, uh, from that. But I, I, just to get back at Tyler, I said, you know, I'll make up for it this week. And so just get comfortable. You got padded pews, you know, but... Uh, no, in all seriousness, no, we were so happy. I was so uh, glad to see how well the kids did and uh, the fact that they took the worship of the Lord seriously. Uh, Matt, uh, Tyler, Ashley, I think it was that Sunday morning when they were getting ready for the before the service. Uh, they were, you know, kind of doing like a little uh, just... Yeah, just kind of going over everything, making sure they were ready, and they were, uh, Matt, Matt made the comment, he was so happy to see how the kids were prepared, how they had notes, and they were ready to go, and, and you could tell they put some time and thought into it, and so it was just wonderful to see the teens worshiping the Lord last week uh, and leading us, because as I often say, that's the next generation, and uh, we need to raise up our teens uh, to be the leaders in the church. Uh, so that way the Lord's Church, at least here in this congregation and around, the, uh, and around Southeast Michigan, will continue to thrive into the future. This morning we're going to look at, it's all about the blood. We're going to talk about this because it's a question that sometimes uh, newer Christians will ask in, in about uh, animal sacrifice, uh, about the blood, and about uh, sacrifices and all these different things. There's a lot of questions uh, that often come up. And so today's lesson will probably be a little bit less of a sermon and more maybe of a, of a, of a study, I guess, if you will. Uh, but it's going to be kind of a hybrid. But before I get started, I want you to think about something. There was an individual in Germany. And this individual in Germany, he was a candy maker. And this candy maker, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to make something that almost kind of was like a Christian witness, if you will. And he wanted, to be able, he wanted somebody to be able to, to take his candy and to think about his Lord and Savior. And so this individual, uh, he starts to incorporate several symbols. He incorporated the birth and the ministry. He incorporated the death in Jesus Christ into this piece of candy. And he starts out with this pure white hard candy. And you ask yourself, well, why pure, white, and hard? What does, that really, what does that stand for? What does that have to do with Christianity? Well, in his mind, the white stood for, it symbolized the virgin birth. It symbolized the virgin sinful, uh, or the virgin birth and the sinful, uh, sinless nature of Christ. The hardness of the candy, it symbolized the solid rock, you know, the foundation that the church was, uh, was built on. It, it's, it symbolized the firmness of the promises of God. But then this individual, he decides to not just take this candy and make it any shape, he specifically makes it into the shape of the letter J. Because that J stands for Jesus, his Lord and Savior. And that J could also represent that shepherd's hook, that the shepherd could go out into the, into the ditches of the world and to lift out, lift out the little lambs who are down in the ditch. And this individual, he's looking at this piece of candy that he's trying to make, and he starts to realize it's awfully plain. And so he takes some stain, some red stain, and he starts to stain it with red stripes. I don't know, understand, I don't know if you guys know where I'm going with this or not, but he starts to stain the candy with red stripes, and he used these to represent the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, which has the power to wash away the sins of the faithful. 
You know, this was back in uh, 1800s Germany. The candy cane actually came around in the 1600s in Germany, but it was somebody, it, was, it wasn't until we got to a commercialized America that it became to be known as the Christmas candy cane. You know, something really of no, no value, of uh, uh, almost meaningless decoration, if you will, because nobody really understands in the 1800s what this particular individual who started to make his own candy cane and started to make it with a purpose. He wanted it to be, as he, as he handed them out, it had a little note on the candy cane, and it reminded people of his faith. It reminded people of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that as you think about the candy cane here in the coming months, you know, I was going to buy some candy canes to hand them out. It's pretty hard to find candy canes this time of year. I'm just saying, if you go looking for some this afternoon, probably won't find very many. And so think about that candy cane. Every time you look at it, I want you to have a different thought. I want you to think about how this guy created something that he wanted to be a Christian witness. And so, brethren, I say all that because... I want us to look at the blood of Christ here this morning. There's a phrase in the first passage of Scripture on the screen behind me. And in this first passage of Scripture, that phrase is called the blood of his cross. And I told you at the opening here this morning that this lesson is going to be on, on the blood. It's all about the blood here this morning. And I want to start out considering the blood of his cross. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, the Scriptures tell us, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus Christ, and through Jesus to reconcile all things to God the Father through himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through Jesus Christ. You know, you look at this first passage of Scripture, and I really want us to understand there's really three simple truths that I want you to notice in this first passage. The first truth is that in verse 19 it mentions the fullness well, fullness in verse 19 is referenced because it refers to the blessings of salvation that come about through the cross of Jesus Christ by the Godhead. And it's something that the Godhead offers to mankind. The second thing I want you to understand is that when you look at those verses, the blessings, they dwell or they reside only in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus was the one who gave his life on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. And so we have to understand that the blessings are a blessing because we're in a saved relationship made possible by the blood of his cross. And so you think of that phrase here this morning. And the third thing I want you to realize is that this relationship we speak of is achieved through the blood of his cross. There's no other way to have your sins washed away. There's no other way for us to become or, or, or to come into relationship with God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we dig into this morning's lesson, and as we think about it's all about the blood, we will look to understand the significance of the blood of Jesus Christ. But not just the blood of Jesus Christ, to understand what is this, uh, the, the biblical significance of blood throughout all time, going all the way back to the garden and how it's going to be sacred and special all the way until Jesus returns the second time. So brethren, learn why the blood of the cross brings salvation. That's the last aspect that I want us to see is why is it, what is it about the blood that has the power to bring about salvation? And so that's what we're going to look at here this morning, because we need to consider what is included among the blessings. Why is it? What is it about the blood that, uh, that buys or obtains for mankind salvation? So let's get started. In the Bible, if you go all the way back to the beginning of time, blood is the element that life is residence. 
And you'll understand what I mean by that statement. If you don't understand it now, by the end of this lesson, the end of this sermon, you'll understand by what I mean that blood is the element in which life is residence. And what I mean is that blood has always been sacred. You know that when you study out the Old Testament that the Jews were not to eat the animal or eat the blood uh, that was still in the animal. And throughout time, blood has always been thought of as sacred. And we know that there, has always had, there had always been sacrifices uh, because of sin. And it doesn't matter which dispensation you're in, you'll see these sacrifices being made. And you'll see them being made for, uh, specifically for sin. And so what is it uh, about blood that God enables it to reconcile uh, us, to reconcile us back unto him that covers our spiritual death, that covers our sin. What is it about blood that has the ability to do that? Well, simply put, brethren, it's all about the life. For the life is in the blood. That's what the scriptures are going to teach us. For example, in the patriarchal dispensation, do you guys remember that God had to cover up the sin? He had to cover up the nakedness of who? Of Adam and Eve. And so how was God able to cover up the sin, the nakedness of Adam and Eve? God had to kill animals to shed their blood, to, to, to take their life, and to use their skins to cover over the sins of Adam and Eve, to cover over the nakedness. We also know that in Genesis chapter 9, we see that God speaks of not eating of the flesh with its life still in it, and it's speaking of the blood. And so, brethren, we, we also even know that uh, going back to Job, which is actually one of the oldest letters of the Bible, you go back and you look at the, the, the letter of Job. You look at first uh, Job chapter 1 and verse 5, and you're going to see something here. Because a lot of times we often consider the blood sacrifices and, uh, and sacrifices offered to God as more of a mosaic dispensation thing. But I want you to see that sacrifices have been around since the beginning of time. And God had ordained, God had required these of his people. And I know this because in Job chapter 1 and verse 5, notice what it says. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate who? It says them. He's talking about his children, his sons and his daughters, rising early in the morning and offering a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have what? Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and thus Job did continuously. Well, what do we notice in that passage of Scripture? You know, oftentimes when you speak with newer Christians, or even sometimes older Christians who don't fully understand the, the, the Old Testament and the two dispensations, they say, they, when you think of law, they only oftentimes think of the Mosaic Law, and not, not fully realizing that there was law in place during the patriarchal period, and that you could sin against the holy and righteous God. We see that here uh, in plain uh, uh, text, because uh, Job, the patriarch, he was offering sacrifices in case his sons sinned to cover the sins of his children. What did Noah do? When he, what's one of the first things Noah did when he got off the ark? He offered sacrifices unto the Lord. And so, brethren, we know that sacrifices have been a thing since the beginning of time, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, when God had to sacrifice the, uh, the animals to cover over the sin, to cover over the nakedness of Adam and Eve. 
And now we fast forward to the Mosaic dispensation. And for time's sake, I'm really giving you a Cliff Notes version of the blood, right? And how, uh, how important the blood is. How important the sacrifices are. Why they came about in the first place. What does the blood represent? And we're getting to that so you'll have a better understanding of what the blood meant uh, to those who lived uh, throughout time. In the Mosaic dispensation of the Old Testament... We know and we often see as we read the scriptures that it's the priests, the Levites, that made the sacrifice for the people. And they did this every day, but they didn't just do it uh, on normal days. They did it on feast days as well. And the first thing that had to be done was there had to be an animal that was brought that was spotless. And the second thing that had to be done is that the person offering the sacrifice, he had to identify with the animal. And the third thing is that the person offering the animal, he was the one who had to inflict death upon the animal before it was offered on the altar. And do you know why that was? Because God wanted the individual to identify with the consequence of his sin. He wanted to see that because of your sin, this animal, by the right of his life, had to give its life on the altar to cover your sin, even if it was temporary. And so, brethren... When this is done in faith, the sacrifice provided a temporary covering of sins. And so as we look at this information, another sacrifice called for on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is described in Leviticus chapter 16, and it demonstrates forgiveness, and it demonstrates removal of sin. And on that day, the high priest, he was to take two male goats uh, for a sin offering. One of the goats was sacrificed as a sin offering uh, for the people of Israel that we learn about in Leviticus chapter 16. But the second goat, that goat was actually released back into the wilderness that we also learn about in Leviticus chapter 16. And the reason why is because one, one of the goats represented the sin offering, and while the other one that was released provided the removal of sin. If you look on the screen behind me in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, I want you to see what the old law says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to do what? To make atonement, atonement for your souls. For, the, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So as you see there in chapter 17 of Leviticus, we learn that blood was given as an element of atonement upon the altar. And so, brethren, now we fast forward to the Christian dispensation. And as I said, there's so much more that can be given. But for expedience sake, we're giving you kind of a cliff notes, high level uh, overview of sacrifice and the importance of blood in the scriptures. And you're going to see now as we fast forward here now to the Christian dispensation, as we get to the end of days, we're going to see, brethren, how all of this comes together. Because we understand that in the Christian dispensation, we get to the blood, we get to the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And some who are new to the Bible, if somebody's new to the Bible and they want to start to read the Bible to understand it, where do they begin? Even though they're New Testament Christians, they don't begin in Matthew and then understand the New Testament. Everybody says, I'm going to start in Genesis. Because where do you start when you pick up a book? You start in the beginning. And they go through Genesis, and it's good. And then they get to Exodus, and, uh, and then they get to Leviticus, and it starts to trail off. And most people never really get past Leviticus. Why? Because if you've never read Leviticus, well, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But it's a little bit of a bore. It's a little bit of a snoozer. But if you're able to get through it, you'll have a little bit deeper understanding of the law. And so, brethren, as we, as we look at this, we ask the question, you know, why, why is there no longer animal sacrifices in the New Testament? 
Well, many of these Christians uh, who become Christians, who are newer, they start to read the Old Testament. They see all the sacrifices. They see all this stuff that were required of God's chosen people. And they ask, why do we no longer do that today? Well, in order to answer that question, you have to understand there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There's a difference between the old law and the new law. And so where there, um, where there is a law, there must, by, there must be the death of the testator. We also understand, brethren, that God, he had given us different uh, instructions. Because all of the sacrifices, all the blood that was shed, was uh, foreshadowing the Christ, the Messiah that was to come. And so animal sacrifices have ended because Jesus Christ was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice, plain and simple. You guys remember what even John the Baptist said. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, he saw Jesus walking towards him. John being the forerunner, being the one who's kind of making the crooked path straight. He says, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of you Jews. No, that's not what he said. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, others have asked, you know, that as they become Christians, well, why the animals? What, what did the animals do wrong? And that's kind of the point. Since the animals did no wrong, they died in place of the one performing the sacrifice. Jesus Christ did no wrong, and yet he was willing, he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice on the altar, so to speak, on the cross of Golgotha for the sins of all mankind, like we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So you see, brethren, Jesus Christ, he took our sin upon himself, and he died, for, he died in our place. You remember what the Apostle Paul, what he had to say to the people of Corinth? In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, he said, God had made him, meaning Jesus, who had no, no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might have become the righteousness of God. So brethren, all of the Old Testament blood sacrifices were simply representative, if you will. They were typical. They were foreshadowing the death of Jesus on the cross. So remember that God required animal sacrifices to provide a temporary covering of sin. And it foreshadowed the perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who would then, his sacrifice, would be a one-time eternal sacrifice, being God, being deity, being eternal. He offered himself up once for the sins of all mankind, from Adam until the second coming of Christ. Brethren, we understand and we learn more about this in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, on the screen behind me, we'll start in chapter 9 and look at verse 9. There's three passages here, and then the next two are in 1 Peter, if you'd like to see them in your Bible. But if not, they're on the screen behind me. The first one in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 9, it says, it is a symbol. Well, that it is talking about the first tabernacle. It says, it, the first tabernacle, was a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper, what? Perfect in conscience. You see, they were a temporary covering until the Christ, until the Messiah, the Savior, was to come and offer a one-time eternal sacrifice to cover the sins of all mankind since the beginning. But then you get to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. And in that same chapter it says, And according to the law, one, must, one might almost say that all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. So you see, the, the sins that were covered over by, by the animal sacrifices, have now been made complete by the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You see, brethren, when we study out the life and the sacrifice of Jesus, we quickly learn that in Hebrews chapter 10, that the death of Jesus on the cross was a one-time eternal sacrifice. And I know this because it tells us this in Hebrews chapter 10. You look at verse 11 and 12 behind me, and we see that it says that every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time, sacrifice after sacrifice. Well, it was talking about in Jesus' day, he lived under the old covenant. The temple was still standing before, because 80, 70 hasn't come. The temple's still standing. They're offering sacrifice day after day to, to temporarily cover over the sins. So it's talking about the Old Testament priest, the old covenant priest. So every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. What does it say? Which can never take away sins. It was just a temporary covering. But it says, but Jesus. I love when you study out the scriptures and you come upon, uh, come upon a passage that says, but Jesus. When you hear, but Jesus, you might want to pay attention. Because Jesus is getting ready to lay down the law. And you're getting ready to have a deeper, fuller understanding of something that Jesus is trying to teach. A spiritual application, if you will. But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins, what does it say? For all time. For all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. Brethren, Jesus' death on the cross is said to be a propitiation. Well, brethren, that's just a fancy word that we learn about in 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 4. It's a fancy word that simply means that propitiation means that we have been reconciled to a holy and righteous God. But how have we been reconciled? Because reconciliation takes place when you remove the impurity. The impurity is the sin that caused enmity, that caused division between us and a holy and righteous God. And so reconciliation re includes the removal of the sin and removal of the impurities that separates us from God. And so, brethren, this, has, this had to be done. And it had to be done to satisfy the wrath of God the Father. And so, brethren, when we continue to look at the Scriptures this morning, the death of Jesus satisfies the just requirements of God, just like we learn about in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 through 25. And we know that, brethren, that there is power that comes from the cross of his blood. And what does that power offer to mankind? Well, first and foremost, it offers remission of sins. Remission of sins is just another way to say it offers forgiveness of sins that we learned about in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 22. Brethren, the, the, the power in the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ offers justification. Well, what does that mean, to be justified? To justify means to be made right. It means that it's as if your sin had never happened in the first place. For God washes away your sins, and he remembers them no more. It's if it never happened. And so the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, it offers us forgiveness of sins, it offers us justification, but it also offers us much more. You see, brethren, what about the redemption? Redemption, it means that we have been released from a state of captivity, no longer to be held in bondage by sin. And so, brethren, the, the power in the cross of Jesus Christ, it offers redemption. It offers reconciliation. Well, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation means that we have a reunion with God. And this reunion with God is how we, is how we have peace with God. Because there's no longer enmity between us and God. And if you're not sure what that word enmity means, it means there's no longer strife. 
There's no longer dissatisfaction. And so we have peace now between a holy and righteous God and us. Why? Because we've been washed in the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we also receive sanctification. One of the powers of the cross of Jesus Christ is that sanctification happens. That's when we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ in the baptistry, which sets us apart as what? It sets us apart as holy. And so that way we can offer ourselves as living and holy sacrifices unto the Lord. And so everything that we do in deed and in word and in worship is pleasing in the sight of God because we are cleansed in the blood of his son, which makes us righteous, which makes us pure, which makes us blameless. Do you see how important it is to understand the blood, to understand sacrifice, to understand the power that is in the cross of Jesus Christ? But it doesn't stop there. There's also the cleansing. Brethren, the cleansing is simply a washing. We have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, which enables us to then receive the blessings of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that blessing or that cleansing takes place in the waters of baptism. So as disciples of Christ, how crucial is it to understand the blood? When I say it's all about the blood, how crucial is it for disciples to understand the importance, the significance of blood in all three dispensations? How important is it to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made? We know that he died on the cross, but do you really fully understand the power of the cross and the blessings that stem from the cross? If you're here this morning, I would ask that you come back tonight because we're going to study out those blessings. And I'll name them one by one right now, but we'll look into it a little bit more deeper later on this evening in our evening worship. And so the blessings of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ are seen in spiritual life. You remember what Jesus had to say in John chapter 6? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it says you have no part in me. You have no life in me. Meaning that you're still lost. You're still spiritually dead because my blood, my perfect sacrifice, you have not entered. Brethren, so we understand that one of the blessings of the cross of Jesus Christ, it comes in the way of spiritual life. But what about salvation? What about being added to the church? What about guiltlessness? Not guilt, but guiltlessness. Brethren, how many of us still live with the guilt of the sins that God says he remembers no more? You see, brethren, we need to look at that blessing. We need to understand that blessing. And we'll look at that further this evening. We understand that we have now peace between not us and the world. Baptism doesn't give us peace between us and man. It gives us peace between us and a holy and righteous God, who no longer, we are no longer going to have to, uh, to suffer his wrath if we were to die in our sins. And then we understand about intercession. And we're going to talk about that later tonight, how Jesus intercedes for all those who had entered into his sacrifice. All those who have been cleansed, have been washed in the blood of that sacrifice. And then there's the fellowship, not just with God, brethren, but with the church and with his family. And so, brethren, before I close this down, as you can see, the power and the blessings are amazing. I will tell you that partaking of the power, partaking of the blessing of Jesus Christ, it begins and ends with one simple thing, and that's obedience. Because you can't enter into the blood of Jesus' sacrifice unless you're obedient to the gospel. Unless you are clothed with Jesus Christ. The scriptures also make it crystal clear, brethren, that obedience to the gospel brings us to the blood of the cross. In Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. 
and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has what? Caused us to be born again. Well, what is that born again speaking of? It's talking about the washing. It's talking about the baptism. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, there's that, that whole uh, list of sins that says, do not be deceived. And then it lists all these different things. It says, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But then in verse 11, verse 11 is really the important verse. Because it says, such were some of you. But you were washed. What does that mean? You were cleansed. You were justified. How were you justified? You're justified by being, right, uh, being made right because of the, blood, the purifying blood of Jesus Christ. You see, brethren, there, it's so very important that we understand what it means to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The next passage tells us in verse 22 and 23 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, since you in, what did I say? Obedience. I said it all, the, if you want to enter into the power if you want to receive the blessings of the cross, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it all begins with obedience. Because it says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. There's that, there's that phrase again. Born again, not of seed which is perishable, but that which is imperishable. That is through the living and the enduring word of God. Brethren, the start of obedience begins in the waters of baptism, which has the power to wash away your sins, to justify you before a holy and righteous God, to redeem you, to bring about your forgiveness, to reconcile you unto God, to sanctify you as holy in order to offer living and holy sacrifices unto the Lord, and it has the power to cleanse us. But before I close this down, I want to make sure you don't leave here all twisted up. Because there's so many uh, individuals who have been taught false teachings in regards to baptism. And there are so many countless false teachings in Christendom that people don't understand why they're baptized anymore. So many people are baptized and they don't even understand why they've been baptized. Why? Because they go by thus saith the man, thus saying reverend, thus saying denominational pastor, instead of thus saith the Lord. Brethren, the Holy Scriptures teach that baptism is you're baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. You're clothed with the death of Jesus Christ in baptism, as we learned about in Romans chapter 6. Baptism is for the forgiveness and for the washing away of our sins, as we read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 22. We understand that sanctification occurs in the waters of baptism, as we learn about in Ephesians chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 13. Baptism is the result of a good conscience that we learn about in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. Brethren, do you, do you see why I'm giving you those passages after? I'm giving you those passages to let you know that this is what thus saith the Lord says. That you can read it for yourself. And that it's not some mystical hidden thing. But God has made it known to you. So that way you could know how to be saved. And you can know the power that is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And baptism is for salvation, as Peter so clearly says in 1 Peter 3 and 21. Baptism now saves you, not, uh, uh, not the removal of, of the dirt of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Brothers and sisters, it's so very important that we understand these things. Never forget that Christ, he purchased uh, he purchased the church with his own blood. And those who have been washed, those who have been clothed in the blood, are the saved. And the saved make up the church, just like we learn about in Acts 2 and 47 and Ephesians 5 and 23. 
So friends and family, as we finish this, the only basis on which an animal sacrifice could provide forgiveness of sins is through the foreshadowing of what was to come, meaning the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who Jesus, being God, offered himself as a one-time eternal sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And brethren, the blood of his cross is the blood of our atonement. The blood of his cross is the blood of our atonement. And the blood of his cross can be yours if you choose to obey him who sacrificed himself on the cross. If that is you here this morning, and your desire is to be baptized, to enter into a relationship with Christ, so you could remove the enmity that is caused by your sin because you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed you thus far. You could change that today. You could become a child of God. You could enter into His sacrifice. You could receive the blessings and the power that come from the, uh, the blood of His cross. If that is your desire this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.